With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, once again, is not Carter Rodriguez. That guy, he's so busy with his work, his job. He, he tries to act like he's a big shot, and, and he's ducking us once again. But joining me today, audio producer for 92.3 The Fan, Mac Robinson, is making his maiden voyage on the Chase Down podcast. Mac, how's it going, buddy? It's good, Justin. I'm glad to I'm glad to come on, man. As a longtime listener, I love being on this side of it. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you on. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of getting to uh, meet you and get to know you a little bit when we were in Cleveland, and it, it's really exciting to have you on. And luckily, we have you on after a win. Wasn't the prettiest win we've ever seen, uh, and, and we'll get into the game against the Oklahoma City Thunder in just a sec. But once again, the in- injury bug has struck the Cleveland Cavaliers. Unfortunately, uh, Laurie Markkinen suffering a high, what appears to be a high, high ankle sprain. Uh, we haven't got a timeline yet, um, but seeing him walk off the court, uh, kind of received some help but you know under his own weight uh it kind of made me feel a little bit better that the worst case scenarios uh are avoided uh, assuming that it is a high ankle sprain usually the timeline is typically four to six weeks so uh probably will be out for a while but what what was going through your head when you saw Laurie got hurt there in that game you know uh, immediately i started i started worrying because of the fact that you know those last 10 games or so you know he's really seemed to turn it on and turn around his you know outside jumper that Really, it seemed like for a while there, he he wasn't able to connect on a lot of those. But, you know, for him to be able to, you know, kind of get into that groove, it felt like he was finally turning that and hitting his stride, at least when it came to with the Cavaliers and especially coming off his best game against Chicago. Yeah. But, you know, it, when I see him go down, I, I immediately was worried for the, the long term ramifications of that. But again, like you said, with the fact that it's just the high ankle sprains four to six weeks, he should be able to be back. Uh, but he will miss some time. It, it's it, it's not ideal, obviously, but a, at least you saw earlier in the year, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff and company were able to utilize, you know, Dean Wade and uh, when marketing was, you know, in the health and safety protocols and 
you know, at least he was able to give you solid minutes when it came to that. So I don't think that it'll be as bad, but Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, I'm just glad that it's not the worst case scenario for Lowry. No kidding. I I mean, you look at his recent play and he's played 11 games in January, shooting 50, just under 51% from the floor, uh, 43 and a half percent from three. Like it it was finally coming together, right? Like we saw him making the the hustle plays, the, the effort plays earlier in the season. Um, that, that kind of stuff has consistently been there from him, but the finishing wasn't there. All of a sudden he starts finishing. He's hitting shots at at a time where not a lot of Cavs players are hitting threes, right? Like you can really tell the impact of the tired legs out there. And And he goes down and I I can't, it's so remarkable because this season, it seems like everything has gone well. Like everything has exceeded expectations. It's such a feel good year. But the contrast of that is we've lost some major, major pieces. Like I, I, the highs and lows of this season, like the, the fact that they've been able to continue to survive without Ricky Rubio, without Colin Sexton, uh, it's really admirable. And, and they've had Okoro miss time. They, they've had Lowry miss time already. Kevin Love's miss time. Like they, they've managed to keep on winning, but it, it's just. It's unbelievable that in a season where so many things are going well, you have so many pieces of not the deepest rotation in the world missing significant time. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, I guess I didn't even really think about it that much because of how well they played uh, despite missing players, but it's almost reminiscent of last year where, you know, you constantly had different starting lineups that you had to keep on interchanging different players into that role, but Mm -hmm. at least this year you've seen the consistent play uh, from every player at this point, and that's credit to J.B. Bickerstaff and company, but, you know, I I look at the way that these players have played to this point, and like you said, it's admirable, but at the same time, you know you also wonder with the amount of players that they have kind of adding up at this point with with missing extended time you know you wonder how much they can go on and keep on playing through this at that point because at at a certain point it's going to end up breaking your back at a certain point I I mean it really is like I, I think even though they were playing really well after Colin Sexton got hurt I think there there was an effect, right? Like you you were missing something. You were missing that kind of scoring punch, that play finisher, someone that can create their own shot. Uh, same now goes for Ricky Rubio going down. And it certainly kind of, the, the issue is compounding when you factor in the fact that Rajon Rondo has missed so much time, right? Like you, you bring him in very quickly. Like Ru- Rubio gets hurt as soon as he's basically announced out, that trade is done. Um, you, but he's not able to come in and contribute in the same ways. And uh, you mentioned Dean Wade and his ability to step in and the consistency that he's shown this season. I, I was feeling pretty good about that. Like after I saw that it wasn't a, the worst case scenario with Markinen that, uh, okay, he's probably going to be coming back this season. Uh, we, we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief there. I was like, all right, Dean Wade has already stepped up at, at various points this year. He started 16 games. He's played a bunch with these starters. Things are, are going to go smoothly. And then I looked at the lineup data, and this really goes to show just how much uh, turnover and how many guys have been in and out of the rotation. Dean Wade, prior to last night, had only played 32 minutes with Garland, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. Even though he started 16 games, he has not played more than 32 minutes with those other starters. Now, it's up to 44, I believe. uh, And they do have a plus 20 net rating in that time. Uh, But it it really is remarkable that even though uh, he's started so many games and has been um, such a, a key guy stepping up, that there's still like it's going to take some time to work through the chemistry because there's just been that many guys in and out of the rotation. 
Right. And it even goes back to, you know, that great stretch that he had. That was also when you had Jared Allen down for a few games with the illness. You had Evan Mobley dealing with the elbow. Like, yep. and it, it really tells, it's even more telling about the rest of the team that's been injured throughout this season mm-hmm. and really just kind of dealing with the juggling of the lineups that JB Bickerstaff has, you know, not only dealt with last year, but also this year now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the conversation that the Cavs are like flat out better with Colin Sexton not playing at all is ridiculous. And, and I know people will point to win loss, even, even though they were seven and four with them and whatnot. Now with, with Garland in the lineup and no Rubio, they're seven and three. And obviously no one's going to say, oh, you know, Rubio was holding him back, even though Darius Garland is averaging 24.8 points, uh, 12.2 assists per game over the last five games. No one's going to say hey, they're winning all these games, Garland's stats are up, they're better without Rubio, right? Because that's ridiculous. Obviously, like he's going to have to take on a bigger load and the, the counting stats are, are going to go up, but you don't want that throughout the course of a regular season. It's great experience. It's nice to see that he has this gear in him, but ideally you want multiple guys that can create for for themselves, for others, to, to share the burden that, that these guys don't have to go out there and play 38 minutes. I mean, you're seeing it with Toronto, like Fred Van Vliet, like people are talking about how his numbers are up this year. The only thing that's really up is his minutes. Like the, the per 36 numbers are almost identical. That guy's playing 42 minutes a night. Nick Nurse is, he is a madman. He's playing <laughs> six guys a night most nights. Like I, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, and you're starting to see it. Like uh, he had basically two weeks where he wasn't shooting 40% from the floor. Like this stuff adds up no matter how good of a player you are. I think you even saw it with Steph Curry that he started to wear down this year uh, with Clay Thompson out of the lineup and, and sure, uh, burning or shouldering that kind of burden. It's uh, it's not an easy thing, man. And it's uh, you, you can definitely tell the impact that tire legs are starting to have on this cast team. Yeah. And that's also where I think that, you know, you look at a lot of teams right now as they're hitting that point of the season, you know, I think that's where the Rubio minutes earlier on in the season really helped out Darius Garland to be able to, you know, play as well as he is right now because he didn't have as much of that load and that burden early on the season because Rubio was able to, you know, make sure that he had his time off and had his uh, resting time at that point. So I think that's where, you know, fans need to keep that in mind as well is the fact that, again, it's not just you know, the big numbers for these players, but it's also making sure that they're not just good in February and January, but they're also good come April and, and May, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit later on at that point. But that's uh, that's kind of what you need to get in the mindset of. I know we haven't had that since 2018, but <laughs> again, like we need to get, kind of flip the switch in that sense of, uh, you know, getting into that mindset of, okay, let's make sure that these guys are rested enough to where they can have their best basketball be at the end of the season as well. Absolutely. And I I think the last two games have actually been really interesting for the Cavs. Like the Bulls game, I think was understandable because it was their eighth game in eight cities in 13 nights. And you could tell like the legs were tired. Uh, Everyone was a step slow. Like Jared Allen has done a really good job when asked to defending in space this season. Like you could tell, like he he gets out there, he'll he'll challenge guys, he he stays in front of guys. But with Nick Vucevic kind of stretching out to the five and Chicago going five out, you could tell like everybody being a half step slow was creating too many opportunities. And you had Chicago, um, they, they would get easy baskets at the rim sometimes, and when they wouldn't get easy baskets, they would hit very difficult shots. And, and 
that's one of those situations where those easy baskets that you give up, it ends up costing you when you have DeMar DeRozan hitting very, very difficult shots and sometimes being allowed to travel. Um, <laughs> like that, that stuff can kind of catch up to you. And then the Thunder game, I thought, was a, a very different situation. Like, yes, the legs might be tired, but that was a lack of focus. More than anything, I, I think against the Thunder, like, you, I think Darius had far too many sloppy turnovers where he, even though he had a good game statistically in, in points and assists, he was making mistakes. He, he was uh, attempting stuff that, that wasn't really the, the best decision making. Uh, you could tell, like, they were playing down to the level of their competition and yes, tired legs can be excused, but at the end of the day, it was turnovers and missed free throws that kept that game close. And if they make those types of mistakes against the Knicks on Monday or against Milwaukee on Wednesday, like they're, those teams, better teams are going to make you pay when you play that way. And, and I think it, it's a, a good wake-up call for them. Like it, so You don't have to necessarily blow the game for it to be a wake-up call, but th- that, that game certainly uh, serves as a reminder that, hey, the reason the Cavs are in this position is because of their effort and execution to this point, not the fact that they're just wildly more talented than every other team. Yeah, and especially, too, and you hit the nail on the head when it came to, you know, playing down the competition because that was the biggest takeaway that I had, at least from watching the game, was, you know, uh, again, it just seemed like one of those games where, you know, you expect the team to be able to, you know, go out, maybe win by 15, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, like you said, so many sloppy turnovers, um, just lack of focus, like you said. I, I mean, I felt like... Um, there were too many times where, you know, even after like some of the timeouts that you would expect them to kind of be kind of brought back in. And to be honest, that's where I feel like you miss the Rubio presence and you miss the, the Rajon Rondo where you have that kind of veteran uh, ball handler at that point to kind of slow down the kids, at least make sure that everything is you know nice and slow. Everybody's taking their time with it. But instead, it felt like a lot of times they were being rushed. At least it felt on the offensive end and, you know, a little careless. So I, I agree with you there that they played down of the competition in that sense mm-hmm. and especially after a couple of days off too you would expect that you know they would be able to have that focus back in and ready to go but yep. to have that kind of a showing I was a little bit disappointed with that yeah and me, me too and you you look 17 missed free throws <laughs> like 17 missed free throws can change a seven point win to a like even if we're just being like conservative uh, a 15 point win right and, and cover that 12 point spread uh 12 or sorry 23 turnovers to uh to okc's 15 like you you can't give the other team that many possessions uh luckily they did uh out rebound the thunder by a considerable margin they got more second chance opportunities that was a positive but and and most of that came in the second half like you could tell they made a little bit of an adjustment in the third quarter they were playing a little bit sharper but it's kind of the, the half effort passes right or or running sets at half speed because I, I think even last year we would see Darius Garland kind of running off ball uh, whether it's kind of like a floppy action or, or some sort of uh, baseline cuts where everything was kind of ran at maybe 70% speed and because it wasn't ran with the same intensity that we saw earlier this season it's not going to be as effective you're not going to get the defense scrambling and they can stay in front of you and, and uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're not a good team, but, you know, they do play hard. They do have some good defenders out there, uh, especially Lou Dort. So when you're running things at half speed, it's just not going to be effective. And uh, the, the one thing I'll say, though, is it was nice to hear both J.B. Bickerstaff and Darius Garland kind of speak up after that game saying, hey, 
we weren't giving we're not happy with our effort that wasn't a good win uh that's not the way that this team needs to play seeing that kind of leadership both from your uh floor general on the court and your actual coach on on the bench was positive to me yeah I, i would agree with that as well i mean again it comes down to the accountability side of it and for both of them to step up in that way i i i love to see that and you know, again, it comes down to, like you said, a lot of times with those turnovers too, just seeing the way that a lot of those played out. And it wasn't even like, again, just looking at the box score too, just 22 of them were were, on, were by your players at that point. So a lot of them were just mistakes that you had. Um, and, and you also mentioned too, with the rebounding aspect of it, I actually, I noticed too early on in the game, at least a lot of those second chance opportunities down low for, for Oklahoma city, they were able to cash in on and, you mm-hmm. know, keep it close at that point. And, you know, that's where I, I look at the the height advantage, at least that you have between, you know, Allen and, and Mobley. And typically they're able to take advantage. But again, it just felt like there was a little bit of a lack of focus to it. But again, like you said, with J.B. Bickerstaff and Darius Garland talking about it after the game, I, I, I don't doubt that this is going to be cleaned up for uh, for the next game. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, here's the quotes right now. So J.B. Bickerstaff said, we'll take the win, but that was a disappointing game for us. We didn't play the game and approach the game with the seriousness that we needed to. It's, no over, it's over now. We got to the win, but we can't afford to play that way. And Garland said, we got to 28 wins and we think we're cool and stuff. We think we're the big dogs, but we're not. We still got to compete like we're the underdogs every night. Like, that's what you want to hear, right? Because that is the case. This team isn't more talented than some of the teams they're ahead of in the standings, like on paper, right? Like, these guys are are trying to make a name for themselves, and the effort and execution has been the biggest part of why they've won. And you can make uh, arguments. Like, I I think against Chicago, is very clear. You needed another guy that could create offense. There's deficiencies within the the personnel right now, uh, deficiencies that you hope are addressed by the trade deadline. But a game like OKC, that's different. You had the personnel necessary to win that game very comfortably, and they didn't execute in the ways they needed to. And I I think it's important, like, obviously having a a safety net like a Ricky Rubio would help in a game like that. But I, I think it's important to make the distinction between nights where you don't have the personnel to execute what you want to do and nights where you have the personnel and they just come up short, right? Like that was 100% not a, a rest situation. Uh, that, that wasn't a, a scheduling situation. That wasn't a personnel situation. That was pure execution. And I think it's important to make that distinction when it does occur. Yeah, no. And you're completely spot on. Cause you know, again, we're talking about the team that's, you know, first in the East, going up against a team that's that has more or has more uh, first round picks than road wins this season. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I look at again, it just depends on the team that you're playing against. And with OKC, you know, yes, they're a young team and they're talented. But at the same time, you know, like you said, you had the personnel to get this job done. You had the personnel to be able to win this one and pretty much run away with this. I would say again, like you said, if you knock down even 20% of your free throws, then we're talking about an entirely different story at that point. Yeah. But you know, I, I, you know, look at the rest of the way that this team is built. And, and like you said, against Chicago, you can tell that they need some kind of extra shot creator. They have some needs on this roster and it's showing at this point. Um, but at the same time uh, against a team like Oklahoma city, it, it really shouldn't be as close of a contest as it was. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that this point was actually brought up in our Discord uh, after the Chicago game by uh, one of our listeners, Billy. Uh, and I thought he made a really smart point. Like, 
I think at this point, Brandon Goodwin might be a better player kind of in a vacuum than Rajon Rondo. Like, I, I've actually been really, really pleased with what he's doing, but he's not the this he's not a point guard in, in the same way, right? Like, he's really kind of bringing almost a little more of, like, what Sexton brought. Like, not necessarily the same scoring, but, you know, he, he is a combo guard out there, right? Like, he, he can score, uh, he can do some playmaking and whatnot. But Rondo out there, he, he'll go out there and he'll create easier looks for Jetty Osman and Kevin Love. He'll actually create some penetration getting into the paint in the same ways. And you could tell, like, the Cavs were not getting consistent penetration against OKC. There was a lot of kind of isolation attempts and dribbling around. And, and it's interesting because... I, I think as currently constructed, there's more of a need for what Rondo brings at the backup point guard position. But if the Cavs were to add a playmaking wing or, or uh, a big guard uh, that can provide some playmaking, I can see uh, situations where you might want Goodwin in the game more than Rondo just because of what he kind of brings uh, from a scoring standpoint and whatnot. So uh, that what what are your thoughts on that? And do you kind of agree with that assessment? I would kind of agree with that, actually, because, you know, I've been genuinely surprised when it came to Brandon Goodwin, because, again, when, you know, you constantly see like, oh, they signed this player to a 10 day or they signed this player to a 10 day. You're never really sure what you're going to get. But especially when it came to Goodwin, it seems like, you know, not only does he have the scoring pop, but also the the speed aspect of, of his play, I think, is a very big um, difference maker, I guess, when it came to me watching him. And it was I always try to keep an eye out for just like little things. What kind of stands out when I, when I'm watching these guys and you know, the speed factor when it came to Goodwin and his ability to have that burst uh, to, you know, get to the basket or have that outside jumper. I, I think that he's somebody who has stood out to me where I think that, you know, you could keep him around as a role player in that sense. But I, I do agree with you when it comes to the Rondo side of it, where, you know, I, I understand, you know, having the pop when it comes to Goodwin, but it almost feels like in the same way that you have with Rubio, almost like a kind of calmness when it comes mm. to the offense with the ball in Rondo's hands. Cause you understand the fact that, you know, he's going to have your guys in the best position possible, but on top of that, he understands how to find those guys and how to get those guys open. And that's where I think that Chetty's been, uh, you know, dealing with a little bit of, you know, that, that loss of Rubio a little bit harder than most. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that Kevin Love has been phenomenal as well, but I also think that that would also help him out as well. Um, but yeah, I think that the Rondo side of it, I think is, I think has been lacking for sure. But I also like the the kind of burst that you've seen out of Brandon Goodwin because I don't think that we've really seen that as much off the bench to this this season. Yeah, we we really haven't. And I, I mean, the reality is, if Jetty and Kevin Love are getting easier shots and they're more productive offensively, you don't need that pop that Goodwin's bringing as consistently, right? Like, and and I think Jetty's in, in a tough position too because he missed some time with COVID, and by the time he came back, Rubio was out of the lineup. So not only is he trying to re establish his rhythm and maybe having some natural regression from his early season play he's doing that now without having a backup point guard again which is a situation that we've seen him struggle right and some of it is okay the the drop off from rubio to rondo some of it is an even bigger drop off in playmaking to goodwin right like it, it is a very tough situation for him to be in uh it obviously doesn't help as well when you're trying to regain your conditioning and regain your legs uh with a schedule as brutal as the Cavs had on that road trip but you would hope that things are, are kind of settling in now where they have three games at home then they have three days off before they travel on the road it, it's a really good situation for the Cavs to, to kind of 
regain some routine, regain uh, their, their breath, their legs, hopefully, and, you know, push through until this trade deadline. Because, uh, I mean, it's remarkable, but there's only nine games right now between uh, where the Cavs are right now and the trade deadline. Like, it's sneaking up quickly, Mac. Yeah, no, and that's the one thing has been, I've been trying to follow along with it throughout the year, see like, all right, you know, who could possibly be, you know, the right fit. And uh, again, just you forget just because of how quick this season has gone by, just how quickly that trade deadline is coming up. And at that point too, it becomes, you know, put up or shut up time for a lot of these teams that are, you know, maybe on the fringe at least, and especially, you know, looking in the East where it's so, you know, joined and so tightly uh, contested, uh, you know, from the top to, you know, through the play-in at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the way that the East has gone, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see where a lot of these guys go. But like you said, I mean, it's that that quick push right to the deadline to see where you're at, what you need to add and kind of assess and go from there. Yeah. And I think the Cavs are, even though they have some glaring needs and, and things that I, I would expect would be addressed by the deadline, they also have some stuff working in their favor where out of the nine games they have between now and the deadline, only two teams are even in the play-in picture. Forget the the playoffs. It's Milwaukee and Charlotte. Outside of that, it's all teams that, that aren't even in play-in position right now, including the New York Knicks. Uh, I think they're they're playing right now, so maybe if they win, they'll be in the play-in, and this is irrelevant. But, you know, they're, they're on that fringes. So I, I think it is a good opportunity, and I... The thing that frustrated me about the OKC game is if you execute more and it's a more comfortable game, that allows you to kind of experiment within the game, right? Like it allows you to get Isaac Okoro more playmaking reps. I actually like the fact that in the first quarter they had him bringing up the ball, initiating some offense. Like, yeah, it's not an ideal situation that you have Rondo out and and Rubio and Sexton out, but you can make the most of it when when you have a, enough of a lead where, okay, let's get a Coral these developmental reps, and it might pay dividends later in the season. We might not be asking him to initiate that often, but if we have to get him to do it or if a play breaks down and he has to do it, he's going to feel a little bit more comfortable because he got those reps. So that's why I think that there needs to be a, a sense of urgency from the guys that are available to go out there and execute because when you are playing these lesser teams, it's going to give you opportunities to kind of lay a foundation to have that internal growth so I, i'm really hoping to see that um I, I like that we're starting to see and this was something carter and i were calling for earlier in the year a coral more on the strong side because when, when he's on the weak side that really hurts spacing because no one's going to honor him on the strong side at least when garland's kind of at the 45 he can dump it off to him and if his man's cheating okoro's blowing by that guy and he can make good decisions off the dribble um, I, I liked seeing the, the playmaking. I just want to see more of those opportunities for Okoro because this seems like the perfect time in the year to do it. His his legs are probably fresher than some of these other guys. Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, the fact that he did, you know, miss some time with being in the health and safety protocols on top of, you know, the elbow injury too. You know, he has he's a little bit more rested than just about everybody else to this yeah. point. Uh, but at the same time, I, I agree with you with keeping him on the strong side because, the one thing that I love about Okoro is, again, just that athleticism that he has. And, you know, you even saw it in that in that Nets game where, you know, he had that quick penetration to the basket. You know, I, I think that he has more athleticism than I think that some defenses will will give him credit for at that point. But mm-hmm. again, with him being on the weak side, he doesn't necessarily have that three point pop to this point uh, in his career, obviously. But, you know, at the same time, I do think that with him being on that side of the ball, I think it adds more dimension for him on, on the offensive side. 
Yeah, and I, I thought he had some really nice finishes against OKC uh, where he was going up under control, getting the and ones. Like, that's the biggest thing is making sure that he is balance, on balance, under control, and, and taking it up strong because when he is, he's he's a really strong guy. Like, I, I understand he's still the same age as Evan Mobley, which is absurd uh, when you look <laughs> at the diff- difference in uh, physique between the two. Um, but, you know, like, he, he's a really, really strong player, and he's someone that can be explosive when he is taking off on balance and under control. So uh, I'm hopeful to see that. He passed up a few too many open threes for my liking. He, he needs to be willing to take those, even if they aren't going down. But uh, I, I still think the, the sky's the limit for Isaac Okoro. And, you know... With that trade deadline coming up, things are, are starting to get interesting. Uh, Chris Fedor has returned to the beat uh, after the birth of his child. Congratulations to him. And he dropped some names to, to keep an eye on. So uh, I, I want to go through these names, uh, Mac, with, with you. Uh, okay. As mentioned, nine games between now and the deadline. I know some people want a move now because of the glaring needs. But the reality is, like, you, whatever moves you make, likely are going to impact more than just this season. And you look at even last year where the Orlando Magic were asking for a first-round pick for Evan Fournier, like the the price is going to be higher right now than it's going to be in two and a half weeks, three weeks, right? And you can't, like, even if you were to go, let's say, five and four, but you end up paying less for a guy, like, I'm okay with that because these decisions do impact more than this year. The Cavs are playing for more than this year. But some of the names that Fedor mentioned um, for guys to keep an eye on as trade options I thought were really interesting. So I'll read off this list. Harris Levert, Buddy Heald, Eric Gordon, Derek White, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Harrison Barnes, Terrence Ross, Malik Beasley, and Luke Kennard. Uh, this is all via his uh, Wine and Gold Talk podcast, if you guys want to go check that out. But I want to get your takes. Of any of those names, is there a single player on that list that you would be willing to part with Isaac Okoro or Colin Sexton, or let's let's even lump in Larry Markinen as kind of the the three young guys that are outside of the core three. So I, I would I would break it down like this: Isaac Okoro is as close to untouchable for me mm-hmm. as I think you can get, uh, because like you mentioned, he's the same age as Evan Mobley. He's probably he he is the best defender on this team. And on top of that, too, again, just the offensive game that's been evolving as the season has gone on. And I think that as, you know, if he's able to get more consistent play, he's been dealing with the uh, being in and out of the lineup the last month and a half. You know, if he's able to stay consistently in the lineup, I think all of a sudden then you can see that offensive game continue to evolve. So for me, he's as close to untouchable as I can get. Mm -hmm. Um, I put Lowry close to that as well. Again, I think that for, with the way that he's able to impact the lineup, you know, with this uh, being that stretch big, but at the same time being the seven-footer alongside of Mobley and Allen, I'd like that fit uh, in the starting lineup. So I'm probably not willing to deal anybody in, in that sense. Um, but when it comes to the sex inside of it, Ooh, um, we, I, might, I might come, I, I might throw some hands here, man. I, I want to jump through I this know, camera. I, you hey, be careful now. I know, I know, I know. I, I'm going to bring some respect here. I'm going to bring some respect. Okay. There's one player that I would for sure be willing to at least discuss it. Uh, and that's Buddy Healed. And I think that the way that I look at, you know, these, these trade options, like you said, you got to look at it the long term here. And I look at Buddy Heald as somebody who the Cavs 
probably are going to find a difficult time, you know, bringing somebody in who can, you know, shoot as well as he, as well as he can is under contract for that's pretty cheap at the same time and is, you know, good enough to where, again, he's one of the best three point shooters in the league and he doesn't, mm-hmm. he possesses a skill set that I don't think anybody on the Cavs currently have really um, when it comes to that three point shot. So I would say he's the only one that I would firmly put with uh, being willing to trade Sexton in that. The only two that are questionable, I, I would say, and it's only because of the skill sets, are Karis LeVert and then Derek White. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that those two guys, I think LeVert, I, I like his three-point shot since, you know, uh, since November. You know, he's shooting a lot better, but at the same time, a little bit of a similar skill set to Sexton when yeah. it comes to the scoring. Um, so I would be willing to at least entertain it, but I, I would be a little apprehensive of doing that as well. Um, the Derek White side of it, because he's, you know, because he's more of the the combo guard, a similar skill set, maybe a, a little bit taller than Colin at that point. You know, I, I would say that would be the only reason why I would kind of consider that. But other than that, I, I'm of all those names, I'm really not willing to put Sexton on the line for any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say healed and then possibly Levert or White uh, when it comes to Sexton. So uh, I'm of the opinion that I, I wouldn't move. Sexton Okoro or Lowry for okay. any of those guys. Like, uh, honestly, at, at this point, like, I think the biggest ceiling raiser that the Cavs have at their disposal right now is internal improvement. And I, I think the upside of uh, Sexton and Okoro is still significant. I think mm-hmm. the fact that we know that they are cultural fits, that they are hard workers, that uh, they, they've connected with the coaching staff, they've connected with the other players in the locker room, uh, that, that's things that I don't take for granted. And the other thing that kind of is factoring in for me is you look at a, a list this long and if there's maybe maybe it does take Sexton or Coro to get Levert. Well, at that point, I look down the list and I look at Eric Gordon and I say, is the drop off from Levert to Eric Gordon worth giving up the upside of one of these really good young players? And to me, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I'd be more comfortable giving up some draft capital going to one of those guys and, and kind of figuring out kind of what the the is there a diminishing return there, right? Like, I I think you need to factor that sort of thing in. So for me, if I'm moving one of those guys, I want a guy that's like 25, 26 and under that fits well with the the core that's uh, under term. Otherwise, I'm not willing to punt at this point on any of the internal growth that's possible with those guys. Because I think you see, even with this Cavs roster, like the reason they made this leap this year, I, I don't think it's necessarily just the the two transactions really of swapping your, your best player the year before in Larry Nance Jr. for Lowry Markkinen and bringing in Ricky Rubio uh, for Torian Prince. Like, I don't think it's just that. It's very clearly the internal development that those guys have given. So I'd be very concerned that even someone like, Karis Levert, who who has an extensive injury history and whatnot, like what's Isaac Okoro going to look like when he's 22 years old? Like he's still 20, man. Like I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be willing to move on from that. I, I wouldn't be willing to move Sexton. So uh, I I understand your arguments. I just think that the the upside, e- even if you're talking about when these guys improve, there's might be a consolidation move possible this summer or a year or two in advance. Like um, like just. Punting on that possibility, I, I just don't think the, any of these guys presented come with that upside. So now here's the more interesting question. Which okay. of these guys would you be willing to part with a first-round pick for? 
So, okay. And, and I tear, I, I teared these guys out here because I, I, I would, when it comes to the Sexton question, you know, any one of those three guys that I already mentioned, I'm willing to throw the first in. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm probably more willing to throw in the, the draft pick this season um, in order to take advantage of that Ricky Rubio contract. Yep. Because I also think, too, because the Cavs did it with uh, trading Channing Fry back in 2018, where they traded him to the Lakers and they were able to bring him back in the offseason. Yep. So I think that they could do something similar when it comes to Rubio as well. Hmm. But the other side of this is basically looking at it as, and to preface this, early on in the season, you know, I didn't really want to deal anybody at that point because, you know, they were such an integral part of that rotation. And so now basically having Rubio out for the season, it's almost like you finding $20 in your coat that you didn't realize that you had. Yeah. So, you know, the way that I see it is you got to take advantage of it. And I think that I'd be willing to give up the first for all three of those guys. The only other two from that list I'd be willing to give up the first is Bogdanovich and Luke Kennard, actually. Um, Interesting. All right. Make make the Kennard case for me because I, I I don't have him on my list. Yeah, so Kennard, again, I look at it similar to Buddy Heald where, you know, I, I look for the, the different skill sets that the Cavaliers don't currently have. And in the long-term side of it, you know, obviously Colin Sexton, I, I think that, you know, he can still play very well. And I think that, like you said, the internal development, I think that he can do very well sticking with the, with the group that they have here as well in the coaching staff. But I look at Luke Kennard and I just don't think that they have somebody on their team currently that can shoot like he can, has a little bit of that wing size, about six, seven, six, eight, and he has that that outside presence that you can have there. I just don't think the Cavaliers have that kind of a skill set right now. And, you know, him shooting this year, I mean, he's shooting 43% from deep right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I look at him and um, also, and it's very minor, but from Ohio too, so might as well add that in. <laughs> but, you know, with with him, I would say add him in. I've been a fan of Kennard for a little while too. I've wanted him to be somebody that they bring in as that three-point threat. Um, so he would be somebody that I would be willing to give up that first, first round pick for. Plus, he's only 25. So... Yeah. I think that he's somebody I would like to bring in. Andy's a little bit cost controlled. I think that he tops out at like $15 million and it's a team option for his last year. So, you know what? You're making some interesting points. And the the fact that he takes over six threes a game is enticing. I think the other thing we need to factor in as well, and, and I'm guilty of this, and I, I know uh, my Twitter mentions can certainly be guilty of this too. We get so attached to kind of, first round pick versus second round pick and whatnot right. when when you look at it let's say that the Cavs probably their first round pick might be 22 to 25 and then you mm-hmm. look at the second round picks they have from houston and san antonio that might be 33 and 35 right right is the like if you're talking about like uh, uh terrence ross to luke Kennard, is the drop off between terrence ross and luke Kennard? worth moving back five spots or eight spots in the draft to me yeah it's canard is eight spots in the draft better than terrence ross like to to me that that's an easy decision so i I think that's going to be some of what kobe altman has to weigh as this deadline approaches like yes the the first round pick sounds a lot better in the headline and whatnot but at the end of the day you're probably not talking about that different of a caliber or prospect at that point in the draft like you're you're outside the lottery a lot of it's going to come down to teams picking for need for fit uh you you often see a lot of specialists at that point in the draft like it's probably going to be within a a similar tier so i I do 
think that you, you've made a, a pretty good argument for Kennard. Uh, for me, if I'm looking at it, the guys that I, I jump out to me that I'd be very willing to part with a first round pick is Karis LeVert, Buddy Heald, uh, Derek White, I'm absolutely enamored with. Like for me, Derek White, I know he isn't shooting great from three this season, but for his career, he's about a 35% three point shooter. He's a very good defender. He's a good playmaker. And, and in a lot of ways, like I feel he can slot in and replicate what a lot of Ru- Rubio is doing. He's a better scorer. He's not as good of a passer, but he is a good passer. Uh, he, in, in a lot of ways, actually, he's he's kind of similar to what Delonte West brought to those very, very good Cavs teams where it's a, you know, a bigger combo guard that, that plays good defense, that makes the right decisions. Uh, he's young. He's got term on his contract and whatnot. Like, I'd be over the moon if they brought Derek White in on this team. I, I know people will point to him being a great shot blocking guard. I think like that that's nice and all uh but i don't think that like that's that doesn't sway me a whole lot that's so few possessions <laughs> over the course of a game but you know what it, it makes a difference right in, in the aggregate so he he's someone that jumps out to me uh and Harrison Barnes would, would be the other one that jumps out i i would imagine he'd go for more than the Cavs would be interested in he's kind of that 4-3 similar to Lowry Markin and um just kind of does that at, at a higher level i i'd almost prefer a 2-3 versus a three, four, but at the same time, like if it's the difference between bringing in Harrison Barnes and only giving up a, a first round pick or needing to give up one of your good young players for Karis LeVert, that makes the decision a whole lot easier for me. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I would be at least when it comes down to that too, because I also, when I, when I look at these deals too, I also look at the, the value long-term for these guys too. And you know, in the same way that it, it ended up happening with, oh, and I can't remember his name, immediately escapes me, for who they traded for Rubio. Um, uh, Torian Prince. Yeah, Torian Prince, thank you. Um, at least being able to flip that contract later on. You know, I, I look at somebody like and Eric Gordon, who was mentioned in there as well, and I think that with Gordon being 32, I know he can shoot well from beyond the arc, and he's a good veteran, but at the same time, I wonder how, he's, how much value he's going to have when it comes to, you know, the $20 million per year the next two years. Mm-hmm. So, like, well, just, that's just why, the one. Just the one. Oh, just guaranteed. the one? The, okay. the, the, the third year or the final year is only guaranteed if he plays, I think, 500 minutes and the team he's on wins a championship. So I, I oh okay even better. I mean, I mean, if he wins a championship with Cleveland and we have to give him another year, like, I, trust me, it, it, I, I'm not. Ju- I'm not just giving him the other year. I'm buying him drinks. I'm 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 chauffeuring him around. I'll, I'll do whatever Eric Gordon wants if that happened. Right, but like, but I look at the long term value when it comes to Gordon, and I'm a little questionable when it comes to you know the trade value of that during uh, long term. And that's where I look at you know Kennard being somebody who you know three point shooting is always going to be an asset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the value of that contract still being pretty low, I think that could be something that you could move on from uh, pretty easily for the most part. And I'll tell you this, too. Uh, you calling Derek White Delonte West is the biggest compliment in my mind. Again, I, I love Delonte. Like, tr- trust me, that's 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 a player that was very near and dear to my heart. He is a perfect role player. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorites from that that first LeBron run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bogdanovich was an interesting name to be thrown in. The thing I'll say about Bogdanovich that makes me nervous is the injury history right now. Like that would be the reason he's on the market. And especially for a Cavs team that's been hurt so badly by injuries this year, ah, it makes me nervous to give up assets for someone that we 
can't really be confident is going to stay on the court. Like injuries can happen to any player at any time. Like it's the the gamble that you make anytime you add a player. But for for someone that has been dealing with these nagging injuries this year, that does kind of factor into the equation. Uh, Malik Beasley's a, a hell of a player, but. I do have con- some concerns off the court. Uh, he had that uh, gun charge in, in Minnesota. You you kind of worry about the, the culture there. Terrence Ross hasn't been playing that great this year. Like I I, I like Terrence Ross in theory, but I, I'm probably not parting with a, a first round pick there. So Bogdanovich, Ross, and Beasley from that list are are probably the ones that are least appealing to me. But it, it is nice to at least hear that there are a number of names that are on the market because for a team like the Cavs that do appear to be aggressive, uh, Brian Windhorst has reported that they're one of the busiest teams uh, calling around and whatnot. It's good to have options because I, I think then you can start to make those calculated decisions of, okay, out of the assets that we have in the cupboard, what's the drop off from one player to the next? And, and I, I think that that puts the Cavs, you know, a really, really good position to, you know, wait out the, this next two and a half weeks, the, the nine games or whatever. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to go five and four, but if they did go five and four over this stretch and they gave up less or they were able to keep their young guys and find something that fit their needs, I think that benefits the long term more than paying a little bit of a premium now to address those needs, right? Like, when, when you're playing this many bad teams, like it's it's a good time uh, to to go through some issues. And uh, the other thing I'm really hopeful for is that Rondo will be back soon. He was a game time decision against OKC. You would uh, assume that there's probably a decent enough chance that he plays against the Knicks. Yeah, and, and that's where you know I, I look at JV Bickerstaff and the way that you know he is throughout this season. You know, experimented with different lineups, different players playing with different different groups and lineups. So, you know, I, I feel like in this stretch, I feel like he's going to be able to kind of tinker with the lineup a little bit, see who he likes in different groupings and everything like that. And that's where I think, especially heading into the deadline, you can see, okay, what player fits here, what player doesn't. We can see how much of a role they can have there. And the other part, too, that I, I want to say, too, is the fact that, you know, it, throughout Kobe Altman's tenure, you know, we've seen him, you know, have some rumored deals possibly and then end up, you know, having a massive deal out of nowhere. Again, yeah. like the the rumor of the George Hill trade, you know, back in 2018. And then next thing you know, it's a four-team deal with like eight <laughs> players going left and right. Like, so just the way that Kobe Altman kind of works in, in works behind the scenes. And sure, you might hear some rumors here and there, but then out of nowhere, you get an Andre Drummond, like a last yeah. second. Like, and, and that's where, you or know. Jared Allen. Yeah, Jared Allen, especially. Lowry Markkinen. Yeah. And basically, almost every single deal he's done. Like, that's why I don't like doing too much talk on like trades and and kind of like pulling out the trade machine for the podcast. Cause on the one hand, like, it's, it feels yucky to to talk about like the the players that are already on the team as assets and, and things like that. Like, it's, it's uncomfortable when it's, there's so many more interesting angles and you can talk about the internal growth. And like, I, I think there's a real opportunity for the guys that are on this roster to make some adjustments be due to the, the lack of, of personnel that they have and, and the holes that are in the roster. Like, let's see if these guys can kind of rise to the occasion and make adjustments. But um, I, it's, it's something that like, I, I don't love doing, but I, I do at least when you have a list of guys in, in theory to talk about, I, yeah. I like, talking about the the potential fits and whatnot and, and how they they would uh, kind of mix in with the existing Cavs rotation and whatnot but it's that that's the other part of it is 
so often we don't hear the names that the Cavs are actually interested in, or like it's not telegraphed beforehand, and it's you you don't want to be wasting your time, right? Like talking too much in depth about any one player when uh, Kobe Altman seems to be able to get into just about any deal and, and find guys that are available that haven't really even been reported to be available. Yeah, and it even goes back to you know you mentioned the Jared Allen deal and. You know, that even that only came about because of the fact that he reached out to the Nets back in September. And, you know, all of a sudden, then the Nets want to get another first round pick in there. Cavs jump in and thank God for the Matthew Delvadova deal, you know, at that point. So, you know, it's those smaller moves that end up adding up at that point. And, you know, I, I kind of agree when it comes to, you know, the talking about, you know, who you could deal for what just, yeah. You know, you think of the the way that this team has been successful and it's been getting the most out of those players and being the right cultural fit. And that's where, you know, I think that a lot of these guys, you know, really have been able to find those, find that success to this point. And that's where, you know, again, I I look at what Kobe Altman and JV Bickers have the fact they're in lockstep know what each other want for the, for the culture and for the, for that locker room. And that's what I'm going to be interested to see, because if you add somebody in at that point, you understand that JB has a, has an understanding of this player and how they're going to fit in at that point. So for me, it's just keeping an eye out and really being excited about the fact that you have an aggressive general manager with a young team that wants to make uh wants to make improvements and like you said with with Windhorse even saying that you know they're one of the most active teams then at that point I'm just wondering you're giving Kobe Altman time to find a move like okay <laughs> I want to see what he's able to pull out now <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's it's funny because you look around the NBA and I think there's so many examples right now of teams that have been built internally right like and just player development like really kind of prioritizing that culture and whatnot i think memphis is such a great example of that like desmond bain was not what he is this year last year right like he he was very good but you've seen that growth and i i think when you start to see garland mobley and allen so far ahead of schedule it makes you want to accelerate the expectations it makes you want that that dopamine rush (laughs) of a big move and, and bringing someone else in when the reality is like it takes players becoming available like uh, actually becoming available in the market and you have to find that balance of not punting on that internal development that's possible and you know waiting for the right time to strike so uh i mean there's countless examples of teams that went in at the wrong time on the wrong guy and you got to be very careful with that so i i i would like to obviously see some moves to to supplement this core and whatnot uh the the way i said it uh a couple podcasts ago was i want there to be enough of a supporting cast for this team to be in a position to fail right like where the issues become okay garland wasn't able to execute against this kind of defense uh teams made this kind of adjustment on on jared allen and evan mobley and they're going to need to work on their games in in the offseason do that not oh my god like we got blown out by 20 points 30 points every single game (laughs) there's not really a whole lot of lessons because the teams didn't have to make adjustments in a close game to take stuff away from the Cavs. i don't think they're necessarily they'd ever be in that position uh but you know you you want to at least 
give them a fighting chance, right? Give, give them that puncher's chance against some of these better teams, and let's see what type of growth they make, wh- whether it's the rest of the season. I mean, we, we've seen countless post-All-Star leaps uh, from the Cavs over the years. Uh, I would love to see another one of those. It, it, it's nice that we have a full season again where you can actually right. witness one of those. Um, but there, there's so many, there's so much basketball left at, at this point. So I'm really, really interested to see where this thing ends up going. Yeah. And and the one thing that I'll caution people too with is, you know, there's obviously those big deadline moves that everybody talks about, but you know, I even go back to 2016 where Cavs just made a move for Channing Frye. And all of a sudden that was the one that really set the team in stone and really kind of had them propelled them to that championship at that point to help kind of get the locker room under control. So, you know, I, I look at those types of moves and it might be, you know, on the fringes, but at the same time, you know, adding certain players in the locker room, adding different skill sets at that point. I think that those might be the moves that, you know, fans might overlook because it doesn't get the headlines, but, you know, it might be just as important as those big blockbusters that everybody will be, you know, freaking out about as Woj just drops those bombs left and right. Yeah, like sometimes you're just bringing in a guy that he does what, he needs to do and that enables someone else to make a leap in a different aspect of their game right and i I think the luxury from a team building standpoint uh well one is obviously having three positions already kind of locked in right with with garland mobley and allen but the uniqueness of mobley and allen and their versatility on the defensive end i think it really allows kobe altman to go out there and just look for perimeter talent like if you found a big point guard to to kind of play alongside Darius Garland. It doesn't necessarily have to be a shooting guard or a small forward that kind of brings that playmaking, right? Like you can go out and you can just get the most talented player available because those guys can cover up for so much, right? Like if you can get a big point guard or a big shooting guard or maybe a smaller, small forward, but you know, that that brings kind of some of the traits that you're looking for. There's really a lot of options that open up from a team building standpoint to go in less conventional ways because of what, how unconventional those two big men are. It's a really exciting, exciting situation to be in. Um, and, And it really makes Kobe's job easier, even though there is obviously some added pressure to supplement this core. Well, and the other aspect of it too, is that, you know, like you said, it's all internal development. So they have all of their first round picks, you know, (laughs) unlike a lot of these teams who have actually had to give up the capital, the Cavs have the flexibility of, do we want to give up next year's first and then 2025 and start the clock that year at that point, or we can go this year and then 2024. Like they have the versatility where they at least in not doing some of those deals, they have the asset flexibility to kind of go at it in different ways at that point. So uh, I think that it's an interesting place for Kobe to be because of the different, you know, you have the internal growth and the leaps that you've seen so far, but on top of that, you also have the, the versatility with the draft capital and everything else that you have to, you know, you can have that at your disposal and be able to, to play depending on, you know, what situation arises. Absolutely. And I I have confidence that they'll be able to make some moves to to help this team out at the trade deadline. But for now, your margin for error has been reduced. It's plain and simple. It's been reduced and it's going to come down to the Cavs actually going out there and executing and playing better than they have the the last couple games. And yeah, some games, there's been valid reasons for why they haven't played as well. Like, I I think you got to remember that these are human beings. Travel is exhausting. Uh, That road trip is very difficult. But then, as I said earlier, there's examples like OKC where it just comes down to not executing, playing down to the level of the competition. And, you know, 
they are better than they showed uh, on that night. And I, I think that's perfectly okay to acknowledge. Oh, yeah, no, and you're absolutely spot on. And, you know, watching the game against Chicago, that was the the one thing that I tweeted out immediately afterward was just that, you know, you can see that this team is in need of reinforcements on the way. Like, yep. again, just the, the players are playing well, but you can tell that the season's kind of getting to them at this point a little bit. Obviously, with that long of a road trip, I know you had one game at home, but I'm still calling that a road trip. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, when when you're only home for the one day, like, that is still basically a road game. Like, you're not unpacking right. your bags, like, and, and you're out of town the next night. Like, that that's that's absolutely brutal. <laughs> yeah, and, and especially, too, even the, the first two games after this homestand being you go to Detroit, then you come back the next day for, like, an afternoon game because it's President's Day, like, or yeah. uh, the week before or whatever. So, you know, I I. I look at it I'm just I just think that again just the way the schedule is kind of played out it gives them a a a mini break even because Mm -hmm. of the time off that they have as well as being at home it kind of gives them a chance to kind of reset uh take a look at what they have and then kind of go into that stretch right before the trade deadline and the all-star break and that's where I feel like you know this Cavs team because like you mentioned you know this is two out of the out of the nine teams that they're playing against are going to be uh in the play-in uh let alone playoffs Uh, so, you know, at this point, this is a chance for them to kind of step on the gas a little bit. And if they can go ahead and take advantage of this stretch, all of a sudden it gives you a little bit more room for error at that point, uh, with the rest of the way. Absolutely. And in the meantime, it's next man up and Mac, thank you so much for being the next man up on this podcast. It was a lot of fun having you finally on. We'll definitely need to do this again. Uh, You filling in for Carter was, uh, very, very appreciated, man. Yeah, of course. Appreciate the invite. Always love the podcast. So thanks again for having me on. No problem. And we got a very special guest coming on Tuesday's podcast. We will be back live on YouTube. Carter will be back and we will be joined by Serena Winters of Bali Sports Ohio. Very, very excited to have her on. Uh, So make sure you guys are liking, subscribe, click the notification bell on YouTube so that you know when we're going live. And if you're listening via podcast, support us by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.